How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Hey there, Disney Files. Thanks for tuning in. Just a little warning that whilst we like to keep things bright and light here at Dissecting Disney Ditties, occasionally we do drop in a bad word or two. So if you're listening at home or in the car with the kidlets, you might want to listen to this later. Enjoy. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet to record today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to elders past and present. Welcome to Dissecting Disney Ditties. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. But on this show, we'll be breaking each Disney classic down. Hello, hello. Welcome to Dissecting Disney Ditties with Stackers and Will. I'm Stackers. And I'm Will. And on this show, we'll be breaking each Disney classic down, song by song, in an attempt to answer the impossible question. What is the best Disney song? Does not compute. Does not compute. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't compute, but I'm not going to explode or anything. Uh, I'll tell you, it's a song. It's a song. By Disney. By Disney. Well, not technically by Disney. He didn't write any music. Well, it's true. It's tr- uh, yeah, true. Okay. What is the best Disney company song? Well, no, it's not even that because we're specifically looking at the animated. What is the best song written by a composer mm. exclusively for a Walt Disney animated feature musical. Here we go. It doesn't slide off the tongue as easily not quite as, catchy. as no. what is the best Disney song, though, so maybe we'll stick to that. <laughs> um, Stackers, very exciting. Uh, we're back in person for a recording. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, 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 whoop. And we're in my house. We're in Stackers' house. We've never recorded house. in my house. It's so reverberant in here. This is going to be fun to edit. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, something I'm greatly looking forward to not having to do. So uh, let's make it as hard as we can for Stackers. Uh, but not only are we recording in person, Stackers, for the second time in Dissecting Disney Diddy's history, we have a guest. Ding, 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 ding. Welcome. This, uh, welcome, Eugene. Hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> it's uh, good to be here. It, it's good to have you. It's good to have you. Thanks for coming along, for spending some time doing this silly little podcast. I really appreciate being the diversity hire for this <laughs> podcast. <It's great. laughs> um, first things first, what's your experiences with like Disney movies in general? Oh, I grew up. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you were a child once. Intravenous <laughs> Disney. That's great. Um, yeah, and I... You know, I grew up doing musicals as well. Yeah, so nice. Okay, very I cool. I love musicals. Are you of a similar age to us? So, like, you sort of, like, Prime was the Renaissance, which we're in now, or...? I was... That was a very personal question I've just yeah, realised. Yeah. So. I, no, I, I am a 70s kid. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. All right, so you would in adulthood but, almost. But I'm Asian, so you wouldn't be able to tell. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> One day I'll wake up and I'll look like Yoda overnight, but... <laughs> And then there'll be no confusion and I won't have to ask if you're of a similar age to us. But it it is interesting because being a little bit older Mm. means that the way that I approach animated movies is 
probably slightly different because the stuff that really appeals appealed to me when I was a kid, yeah, um, it, you know, wouldn't have appealed to you in the same way. But the stuff yeah. that appealed to you as a kid, I'd be going, oh, it's I'm not really the target demographic anymore. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, right. It, it's interesting because. Like, I suppose when we've sort of been going through these movies in particular, um, when we've been making our way through them, a lot of them, a lot of the memories are so tied in with our sort of growing up and discovering what we like and all that sort of stuff. But because you were a almost, if not fully functioning adult by the time this these came I'm out. I'm still not a fully yeah. functioning adult. <laughs> Again, I'm making some bold assumptions here. Um, but I guess that, yeah, like your approach to them would be a bit different. Yeah. I, I, and it's like people who watch Star Wars now for the first time. Mm. And they say, oh, I just don't understand what the big deal is. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, you know, I, I grew up watching Star Wars in, in the back of a... Ford Cortina at the yeah. drive-ins. <laughs> yeah. What's a drive-in? Um, but but that was world-changing stuff. Yeah, and we yeah. forget that. Uh, yeah, no, it's true. And we, you know, we've forgiven all of the poor scripting and stuff like that because that was just the way movies were back then. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, and I'm glad that that is the second reference to Star Wars because Stackers is a notorious uh, fan of Star Beep Wars. Up. I am a gold robot. Oh, no. I'll be making another reference later today, I think. <laughs> Let's tee him up. That's a, a little dangle, a carrot dangle for the listeners. <laughs> um, how you been, Stackers? What's been happening? Uh, I've been really well. I had a really good answer for this. I watched a Disney movie. Oh, I watched Sneakerella. Ain't nothing faster than my kicks. New Disney movie. It is a, an adaptation of Cinderella and does include a very smooth R&B version of A Dream Is A Wish Your Heart Makes, oh, which wow. I thought was very cool. It's a about a kid growing up in Queens. He works at a sneaker shop mm. that was owned by his mother who was passed away. So now he lives with his stepfather and his two evil stepbrothers, one of which his name is Stacy, which I thought was really cool. Because yep, yep. uh, they've adapted Anastasia to Stacy and Drizella, I can't remember. I want to say Dazza, but it was not set in Darwin. Uh, <laughs> It's sort of you, you click that, oh, this is like the, the carriage part is a vintage car. And oh, yeah. yeah, it's very, very cool. I liked it. It's a, it's a musical. Mm. So there's a whole bunch of new songs written for it apart from um, when they, they have a dance and you hear non-diegetically A Dream Is Wish Your Heart Makes, which I thought was very cool. So hmm. that was my new Disney watch for this week. Interesting. Uh, every part of me kind of hates this concept, but I am intrigued now that it's you've explained really it. It's really sweet. So. I, I really liked it. It's a very easy, fun watch. So. Yeah, okay. Now, yeah. And, you know, when I do think the name Stacey, I do think Evil Stepsister. So yeah, totally. It's, uh, it, it works. It's on brand. <laughs> I'm getting flashbacks to watching the musical Sisterella when it came to Melbourne. It was produced by Michael Jackson. Cinderella. Um, yeah, it was like a black version of Cinderella. Yeah. And it had some really great ideas and lyrics that sound like they'd been written by a nine-year-old school kid. But, yeah, it, it opened at the Regent Theatre. Oh, my God. I, I've, I fought because at, at that stage I was a theatre critic and mm. so I fought to get a ticket to it and got in, invited to opening night because we are thinking it's the world premiere, maybe Michael Jackson will turn up, all mm. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Largely it was a rubbish musical and it closed very soon after. Mm. But there were some beautiful moments in it. Bonus episode, bonus episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's worth chasing down. Sisterella. yeah. yeah. And what adaptation of Cinderella have you seen lately? <laughs> uh, no, I have not seen an adaptation of Cinderella lately. I, uh, I've, what have I been watching? 
I've been watching, doing a lot of like late night and early morning watchings. Um, NBC News. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. Fish Tank on ABC. Yeah, yeah. You know, the fireplace that crackles for 10 hours. Um, no, look, I might as well mention it. I had a child recently, so um, yeah, I won't go into too that's many details. Why, that's what Will means by I've been so busy lately. Yeah, it's true. I'm always like, yeah, it's my true. baby. Um, so that's what I mean when I say I've been doing a lot of early morning watching. So I just feel like I'm putting on stuff and not really paying attention to it lately. But I did start watching The Orville. Have you ever seen that? The, the Seth, mm-hmm. um, Seth uh, MacFarlane Star Trek ripoff? I could not be less interested based on that <laughs> yeah. discussion. See, I was the same, but a lot of people, it's in its third season now, and a lot of people All say right. that it's really good and it's got a lot of heart and stuff. So I started watching it and it's kind of interesting. I'm, beep up. Yeah, I am beep, a gold robot. Beep up. Beep up. Beep, 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 beep up. <laughs> But we're not here to dissect weird space movies. I'm even less interested now. (laughs) We have gathered here today to discuss the 1998 Disney movie, Mulan. Mulan. Really, I, I'm I'm excited we get to talk about this movie because I never watched this growing up. Really? Yeah, my brother and sister really loved this movie, but I never saw it until I was uh, so. It must have been only been a couple of years ago. I think I watched it in lockdown with Angie for the first time. Wow, I think this was the third time I've watched it within a year. Yeah, so. right. Okay, <laughs> so you are a fan of this movie? Yeah, I mm. think so. Because mm-hmm. my mum <laughs> watched the live action and she didn't really like it, and I said, "Have you seen the?" animated one she said no mm. so I sat down and watched it with her and then I think at some point recently Tim and I have happened to have watched it as well and then mm. last night I watched it again so it's a good time. film better than I thought I did yeah, yeah mm. fair enough Eugene have you seen it recently uh, do you, well, did you I I specifically didn't watch it when it came out yeah so okay. there you go yeah, yeah. Uh, and I only watched it because I got invited to, to come in I've now watched it twice within the last few weeks yeah wow. okay um, yeah but it, but it's been really interesting to come with it with fresh eyes. What mm. twenty four years after it was made? Yep, crazy. Um, and just going, actually, there's some gold in here mm. that, that's still here. And yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because yeah, you're right. There is some like nuggets of kind of awesome perfection almost inside of this movie, but it, they're they're sort of dusty a bit. You know, you got to sort of brush them off a bit to mm. see see the gold maybe. Before we jump into stacks, mm. Will, for the first time in what feels like forever, we are doing this in person. Today we are drinking a Chinese fizz. Originally I wanted to do a green tea martini twist uh, and then I sent it to Stackers and she said that sounds horrendous let's do something else <laughs> so we are drinking a, a Chinese fizz which is a rum based cocktail if you've had anything like a gin fizz or anything like that you will be familiar with the, the sort of process here so you start with 60 mils of rum about a bar spoon and a half of Luxardo maraschino liqueur Again, about a bar spoon and a half of Contro. Contro? Contro? Contro. 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 Thank you uh, for validating me. (laughs) (laughs) 15 mils of freshly squeezed lemon juice, uh, 15 mils of simple syrup, one egg white, and about a bar spoon of grenadine, and a couple of drops of Angostura bitters. 
because it's a fizz and because we're using egg white, we're doing the dry shake method, which I don't think we've done on this podcast before, but if you know anything about cocktail making, you know what that looks like. Essentially, you give it a solid shake without any ice for about 30 seconds, then you add in some ice cubes and you shake it again for about another 20 seconds. And then you strain it into an ice-filled fizz glass. We are using martini glasses, but that's, that's fine. And then, yeah, you, you just garnish it with a couple of drops of Angostura bitters on top, and that is the Chinese fizz. So if you're trying to work around some of the fancy ingredients like I did, I've used a basic bitch dark rum, and mm. I did not have any maraschino liqueur, but I did have a raspberry liqueur, which mm. I have substituted. I forgot to put ice in the glass, uh, so there's no <laughs> ice in the glass. And everything else I think I got right. I did not freshly squeeze a lemon. Did you just get the uh, straight out the, the bottle? Woolworths yeah. lemon, <laughs> lemon juice bottle. Yeah. Hey, Woolworths, if uh, you're interested in uh, <laughs> giving us a discount yeah, on that, what a yeah, dollar yeah. fifty bottle of lemon juice. I'll just watch a truckload of that shit pull up to my house. <laughs> oh, cheers, guys. This is like a dark purple, divine-looking drink. Let's test it. Wow! Oh my! Oh, that kick. That's got alcohol in it. Mm. <laughs> mm. I think it only has alcohol. <laughs> We're going to be a bit more frank tonight. Than You're all going to be walking home. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't happen to us before. We haven't gotten loose as on the podcast oh, yet. Oh, I got loose watching it last night. <laughs> Always a first. All right. So let's jump into some stats. The year is 1998. Good year. Music is written for the first time in what feels like forever, not by Ellen Menken, mm. but by Matthew Wilder. Who is not someone I've heard of before. Yes, you have. Have I? Yes, you have. Because... I take it back. It's someone I've heard of before. You have heard this song. And you said you had to get your laundry clean. Why do I still know the lyrics? That's a real bop. We should just dissect that song for the next year and a half. <laughs> and Disney hired him on the back of that? Well, not on the back of that. So they actually hired him because he had written, uh, well, not written, he'd put together a demo recording for a stage production of Cry to Heaven, which is an Anne, it's a book, Anne Smith, and Green, and something. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, for a musical adaptation of that, and they heard his demo and decided, hey, you'd be a good replacement for Mencken. Interesting. So... Uh, I would have been so much happier if you said, yes, they heard that song and thought you'd be great for Mulan. <laughs> that would be great. You know, we have this, uh, this, this story coming up. It's just so... It's going to fit your style. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the lyrics are once again by David Zippel, who we met last episode because he wrote the lyrics for Hercules. Don't touch on my Zippel. <laughs> City of Angels and the Andrew Lloyd Webber disaster that's Cinderella right. fame. Yes, yeah, that's right. And the score is by Jerry Goldsmith. That's that's his, his name's been around for a while, hasn't it? Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, maybe not the Mencken stuff, but I feel like I've heard that name. You certainly have because he composed the score for Star Trek, the Star Trek franchise. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Speaking oh, of yeah. the beep up, beep up, okay. I am a robot movies. That would yeah. be why I have yeah. no idea about. <laughs> 
Uh, he also did the Rambo franchise as well. Still oh, have no intention of finding out anything about him. Again, weird, weird, <laughs> weird sort of path though. We've got this guy coming from Ain't Nothing Gonna Break My Stride and a guy coming from Rambo and Star Trek. <laughs> a match well, made in heaven. Disney actually, just diversifying yeah. through audiences. There is a story here and it's actually quite a disappointing one. So Here we go. The score, when they were considering who to bring on for this, they considered Danny Elfman mm. Mm. and Thomas Newman. So the Newman family is epic. So you've got Thomas Newman, Randy, Randy. Newman, and yeah. there's a third one. Sam Newman? Paul Newman. <laughs> Paul Newman. <laughs> Peanut butter. <laughs> so Thomas Newman does like all the um, James Bond movies now. Right. Oh, here's a fun fact. David Newman scored Anastasia. Wow. <sighs> There you go. I like David. So, yeah, the Newman family is just epic. My God, they are rolling in money. <laughs> Possibly because they're rolling in talent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they ended up not going with either of those. and on, Instead, they signed on the first ever female composer cool. for a Disney animated feature. Interesting. I really am. I'm, look, I'm, I'm, I'm both looking forward to and fearing what happened. She got pregnant and pulled oh. out. Oh, okay. And they did not, this is the shocking bit, they did not hire another female composer until Encanto. Oh, Whoa. Jesus. They hired Jesus. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the score for Encanto was by Jermaine Franco and she is credited as being the first female composer for a Disney mm. animated feature, mm. but she technically wasn't the first signed because yeah. Rachel Portman was signed. I can't believe that's How the first. How frustrating is that, though? But I can't believe that it took from, so 1998 to 2021? Yeah, yeah. It took that amount of time to hire another woman. Because mm. the Newmans were doing every single movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the you got a friend of me guy. Let's just get him again. You know? <laughs> they also considered, after she dropped out, Randy Alderman and Kia Toro, who's a... Um, Japanese composer, mm -hmm. and eventually they landed on Jerry Goldsmith. So both of those were like all we're all um, really amazing composers. But I think it's just really disappointing that she didn't get to, um, to yeah. make her mark here. Wow. It's it's sad that she pulled out. I, I, part of me was a little bit relieved that they didn't fire her for getting pregnant. So at least Disney's not being super overtly gross anymore, which is nice. Yeah, no, she just said it was too much to. Mm. I mean, this is a lot of work and hours and I guess if you're going through a pregnancy is probably not <laughs> what you want to yeah, be doing is staying yeah. up to all hours of the night, mm. you know, working on a Disney Disney score. So Although yeah. I imagine morning sickness might allow for some like interesting melodies to come out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we get when we finally get to talking about Encanto, we will get to we will get to more discussions about doing music when you're pregnant. So <laughs> In the cast, we have in the role of Far Mulan, we've got Ming-Na Wen. Mm -hmm. She was in, did you ever see the uh, Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? No. No, why did Marvel? you? Oh, I didn't either. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a massive Marvel fan, but I haven't seen this either. She's Melinda May in that. That's like her big okay. claim to fame, apart from apart voicing from Mulan. Mulan. Yeah. Uh, she's also in the book of Bubba Fett. Is that a Star Wars thing? Oh, okay, no, yeah, I know who she she's is. She's yeah. Fennec Shand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got no idea. Beep up, Dis I am a robot. Disney Plus Star Wars series. <laughs> yeah. There's so much of this. <laughs> <laughs> 
Star Wars, Star Trek <laughs> stuff coming up. It's just it's, it's who we are. Uh, <laughs> the cocktails are speaking. And it's who you are, Stackers. Stop trying to deny it. Oh, <laughs> You're a bloody fiend for the Star Wars. Beep up, beep up. Uh, voicing, uh, doing the singing voice of Milan, we had Leah Salonia, who we met when we did Salonga. Aladdin. Isn't that Salonga? Is it Salonga? Is that a hard G? I think so. I thought it was Leia Salonia. Is that how you say it? Oh, pretty much you can say anything and I'll just believe you because you are with confidence, so... With confidence, it's Leia Salonia. But she just sounds Italian. With Sol- the- Salonia. Salonia. <laughs> if you don't say it, you've got to do the hand. <laughs> Salonia. I, I love that I say she sounds Italian and I say wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> well done. You're doing as much sort of uh, mixing of nationalities as the oh, writers of this movie did. I, I am totally getting into the zone for this. Disney. It's on brand. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Uh, her, so Leia did uh, the singing voice of Jasmine. Jasmine. I wanted yeah. to say Pocahontas and that was mm. Judy Coon. So uh, she's back doing this. She actually was down to voice Mulan entirely but they found that her speaking voice's ping wasn't convincing. She couldn't lower her voice to a convincing <laughs> level, so they got Ming-Na Wen in. Mm. Well, Interesting. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine that. It's like it's not, it's not because it's inappropriate casting. It's because your voice's ping isn't good enough. And she doesn't really speak as Ping much. She no. sort of does it at the start and then you never really hear her attempt to do it again. convincing. She doesn't no. sound like a dude. She just sounds like a chick putting on a dude voice. Yeah. Like, uh. Anyway, um, she was cast because uh, she does narration at the start of Joy Luck Club and they heard her oh, do that right. and yeah. thought she'd be great as Mulan. Yeah, that's cool. They, that's how they found her. Okay, yeah. Was that a, that was a TV series? No, no that a was a movie by Oliver Stone. Right. It was the only uh, pretty much fully Asian cast um, for 20 years before Crazy Rich Asians. Wow. Really? Yep. And it's a phenomenal movie. It's really worth watching. It's very – Oliver Stone's movies are always epic in some yeah. respect, mm. but um, it's a beautiful film. There you go. So Eddie Murphy voices Mushu, the dragon, the horrifically <laughs> missing element of the 2020 version of Mulan. Uh, <laughs> What do you say about Eddie Murphy? He's that guy. He's, I was about to say, he's the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. No, he's the... Jesus. Oh, <laughs> they all look the, the same prince. to you, right? Is he a prince or a king? Then Coming to America. Is he a uh, prince or a king? Prince. Prince. He's prince. He's prince. the prince from Coming to America. Yeah. And, Son of you know, King Jaffe Jaffa, ruler of all the Munda. <laughs> oh, and he's also been in a billion other things. But yeah. <laughs> he's stocky and Shrek. It depends how old you are as to what you know Eddie Murphy as, like what... What era of his filmmaking yeah, career no, you're familiar fair. with? Yeah, that's fair. Because so, I think I was a like nutty professor, Eddie Murphy. That yes. was sort of my quintessential Eddie Murphy until Hercules, I got a bit older. Hercules. But now um, I want to go back and watch Forty Eight Hours. This is I, like before your your. No, time. I watched Forty Eight oh, Hours wow. a couple of years ago. I think <laughs> I, like I went away. It was the yeah, first time that, I watched that is it. Not your time. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, we're, we're of the we're of a generation. You and I. <laughs> um, uh, not great, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, voicing Captain Lee Shung. Now, I was really interested because he's introduced as L- Lee Shung and then later Mulan says Shang. Mm. And I, I was mm. confused. Is that an Americanization of that name? There are all kinds of inconsistencies in the pronunciations and the accents in this movie. Oh, the it's accents. A, no, I've got a great, I've actually got a tins tip bit on the accents for this one. I look forward to it. <laughs> so that is voiced by the incredible B.D. Wong. 
Yeah. <gasps> Bow yeah. down, bitches. He is the only actor in Broadway history to receive a Tony Award, a Drama Desk Award, an Outer Critics Circle Award, a Clarence Derwin Award, and a Theatre World Award, all for the same role. Uh, which is when he was song lilling in Madame Butterfly. Wow. He's kind of actually cast an Asian in Madame Butterfly. That's amazing. I just, that's <laughs> incredible. Like even Lin-Manuel Miranda hasn't done that. Like yeah. no one's done that except Betty Wong, which I think is awesome. Trivia for you. Mm. Um, uh, when I was going through the airport and I got picked up for one of those random drug tests. Oh, yes. Um, the, the guy who tested <laughs> me, said, he, he said, you, you're the spitting image of B.D. Wong. And ever since then, I've just taken it. <laughs> I, I, I don't like anything like him, but I'll just still take it. <laughs> it wasn't that I thought you had drugs. It's that I thought you were famous. <laughs> yeah. He's taking a selfie with you. And he's like, you're B.D. Wong, right? <laughs> Will will be familiar with B.D. Wong as Linus from You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Uh, no, oh. I wasn't. It's Linus. But oh. yeah, that, that's a surprise to me. I was more um, Jurassic Park. Come on. I thought last time. <gasps> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Last episode, yeah. there was someone from You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And it you... was. It was uh, Roger Bart, but yeah. I, I didn't know. Like, I don't know Linus the, uh, that sorry. well. well I knew Roger Linus Bart, the loser yeah. role. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Linus is the loser role. Like, Linus is a bit of a loser, right? Uh, Linus is a blanket, Linus. Come on. Hi, once he's playing. Grow up, you fuck. <laughs> 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 all, all I'm thinking of is Law and Order. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, course, he's, yeah, yeah. he's big on Law and Order SVU. He's also in Oz. He's also in Jurassic Park. Every time World. he turns up, I'm like, ah, oh, it's. There he there is. He is. <laughs> uh, he's also in Gotham, American Horror Story, The Apocalypse Season. Oh. So, yeah, oh, okay. he's, he's a big he's done name. He's a lot more than I thought. Mm. Big name. His singing voice is provided by Donny Osmond. We spoke about him last episode because he auditioned for the voice of Hercules and they put a pin That's in it right. and brought him yeah, back yeah, for yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It is interesting because, like, the singing voice and the speaking voice of um, the captain is, they're quite close. Very, like, so they sound very similar. because Donny Osmond sat in on BD Wong's recording sessions mm. and studied all of his inflections and the way he spoke so that he could try and mimic it when he sang. There was so much effort yeah, there. Yeah, good on him. Because it on is him, yeah. seamless. Yeah. It is not seamless when you get to the grandma. <laughs> <laughs> An apple for serenity. And for balance, beads of jade for beauty. But you don't for a second question mm. that it's a different singer and it's just all credit to Donny Osmond. Yeah, I, I mostly know Donny Osmond from um, the Joseph? Joseph the Joseph recording and, yeah. and it's very different, very different. Good, yeah. good for him. I closed my eyes. Sean Yu is voiced by Miguel Ferrer who you might know from RoboCop or Iron Man 3. He plays Vice President Rodriguez. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah, that guy. Mm, he He's uh, not Asian. No. <laughs> so I'll put that. No. <laughs> Let's not let that get in the way I mean, of uh, <laughs> a good income. He's a dragon, so I sort of let that go. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, this one, not so much. Grandmother Far is voiced by June Foray. And basically, name a cartoon and she was a voice in it. But more importantly, mm. June Foray voiced Lucifer, the cat, in Cinderella. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. Come, kitty. Let's just go <laughs> the right cat back. cat speak? He meows. Oh, just meows. Okay. She yep. was Lucifer, the cat. She also was a squaw in Peter Pan and she was a model for the mermaids right. in Peter Pan as well. Interesting, yeah. Which when I read that, I was like, hang on, it's 1998. Mm. Those films came out in the 
fifties. Yeah, 40s, 50s. How old was she? She lived to 99. She died in, I think it was 2017. Good for her. Yeah, so that was a long career. She's in so many cartoons, voicing a lot of animals, sort of almost like a female Frank Welker. Yep. Uh, But, yeah, so that's her. Um, Her singing voice is Marnie Nixon. Marnie Nixon is a really, really famous ghost singer. Yeah. So she's the voice of Deborah Kerr in The King and I, Natalie Wood in West Side Story, and Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. Getting to know you, getting to feel free and easy. Tonight, tonight, it all began tonight. I saw you and the world went away. I never know. including in Mulan. Oh, shit. Okay. How do they get away with that in She's Mulan? a ghost singer. Yeah, I, I didn't get how they got away with it in 1998, but I guess she just sort mm. of went, this is my thing. Well, if she's a ghost, then she is dead, so they can't really give credit to <laughs> a dead person. So <laughs> I don't really know what the problem is here. When the grandma started singing in honour to us all, <laughs> Tim was like, is that supposed to be the same person? <laughs> Holy shit. We'll need more luck than I thought. Be of jade for beauty. Voicing Yao, we've got the incredible Harvey Firestein. Mm, notorious Chinese person, Harvey Firestein. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he actually didn't want to do it because of that. He thought it was really inappropriate, but oh, they, okay. they begged him to be in the film. And he is fantastic. Mm. Um, he's most famously the voice of Edna Turnblad in Hairspray. First, let's make a pit stop at the wiener stand. But if he's in anything, as soon as you hear him speak, you know it's him. Mrs. He's Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire, mm. yeah. He's got, just got such a distinguishable Gravely voice. like voice, yeah. Yeah, like I've smoked 40 packs of cigarettes a mm. day since mm. I was five, that kind of voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, other names of note, we've got James Hong as Chifu, who's a really big name. We've also got Pat Morita, Mr. Miyagi, as the Emperor of China. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. Also, you might know him from Happy Days and MASH. Uh, he was big in that as well. Uh, George Takai is the first ancestor and making a return because it wouldn't be a Disney film without him. We've got Frank Welker voicing the cricket and Mulan's horse. <laughs> <laughs> what a gig. That's, what you, that's the kind of gig you need to get. I just I can't get my head around when you hear a horse or any animal in a Disney movie that it's a person. It's not a soundboard. <clears throat> Uh, Disney, I'll be expecting a letter of employment but in the mail. Can you imagine the recorder be like, now the horse is happy? <laughs> now the horse is confused? <laughs> For a minute, I thought you were going to do exactly the same thing. <laughs> uh, I'm a professional, okay? <laughs> uh, well, oh evidently you are because no one's paying you to do it. It's true, it's true. It's, it's, a, it's a sticking point for me. Songs that were in this movie, there's only five songs that were written for this movie, the biggest ones being Reflection, the song that literally launched Christina Aguilera's career, Mm. and I'll Make a Man Out of You was also a big hit from Mm. this film. When it comes to the Academy Awards. 
This movie was nominated for Best Musical Comedy Score, which I think is such a stupid category. It should just be Best Score. It doesn't matter what you scored. Is that, is that at the Academy Awards? Yeah, that I was don't a category. think it exists anymore. Yeah, it can't. I think just like, for a that, time period they split it. That's very weird. Mm. All right. They lost to Stephen Warbeck, who did the score for Shakespeare. Shakespeare in Love. Oh, it's the fucking Shakespeare in Love year. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> At the Golden Globes, it was also nominated for Best Score and nominated for Best Song, being Reflection, and it lost to The Prayer from Quest for Camelot. I pray you will be my eyes And watch her where she goes Realize it was written for a film. No, I thought it was just no. a random. The third is the prayer. The uh, the prayer Anthony Warlow. Prayer. Yeah, not wow. Anthony Warlow. Who is it? Anthony Celine Collier. Dion and no, yeah, okay. Yeah. And, 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 uh, Andrea <laughs> the, Bocelli. The original. I don't give a shit about Bocelli and Celine Dion. Okay, <laughs> fucking Anthony Collier. Once a year, he stands at Sydney Meyer Music Bowl. That is so true. With a bedazzled fucking microphone. microphone and sings the shit out of this song, and it's not fucking Christmas. <laughs> if I go home. And he hasn't sung the prayer, okay? <laughs> so, yeah. it's, it's important to maintain good boundaries and expectations in life, I think. I think so. <laughs> I do like his voice. Okay, so for those of you who have never seen the movie before, this is what it's about. One day I'll update that to the modern, I think it's now like different. It's fully orchestrated. Yeah, okay. Yep. But there's something about that 90s it's version. It's the classic one. Just, yeah, mm. yeah. It invokes happiness. So according to IMDb, this is the film. Mm. To save her father from death in the army. <laughs> it's a very bold assumption, Milan. <laughs> so bleak. <laughs> <clears throat> secretly goes in his place and becomes one of China's greatest heroines in the process. Mm. That's it. Much like the Mexican black tar heroine, which uh, <laughs> is one of the greatest heroines of the 21st century. I, I can't believe that you said that out loud. I was thinking it both <laughs> That's a, there. She makes a bold assumption there. Her father might be... Fucking gun. Like, no, the, no, but he did have an injured leg. He had a bad so, leg. Yeah, and we see him true, doing yeah. all the sort mm. of combat moves at home, yeah. and then he's like, "Oh, my back!" Oh, Which is very oh. inspiring. Like the mm. art, the the art of that, the, the animation of that was very cool. I was like, "Oh shit, okay." But then, yeah, he fucks him. He fucks his knee. So yeah, so we, we know he's gonna die. But you don't <gasps> yeah, open. You were gonna say he, he fucks something else. <laughs> <laughs> like we know he'll die, but you don't open the synopsis with that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, like, I think if you were, uh, oh, look, maybe, you know, growing up 
as you did with these movies or, you know, as you did tw- 20 years before these movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. If I had a heart, it would be hurting now. Oh. It's funny, like, if you didn't know anything about these movies and you're flicking through Disney Plus and you're like, what am I going to let my kids watch today? You probably would skip past Mulan. My problem is the words, a young maiden. Mm. Like it's a movie from 1940. If anyone yeah. ever referred to me as a young maiden, I'd smack him over the head. <laughs> But I, uh, yes, uh, yes. Uh, New challenge to listeners. It, it, is, <laughs> it is interesting though, because when when I read stuff like that, then I go, okay, so we're talking about that time. So it's it's through the. But is that time nineteen forty two? Well, I mean, the that movie's set was... in like what sixteen hundreds, fifteen hundreds. Yeah. Yeah, so. but. I think Young Maiden, I think like Sleeping Beauty, like mm. Young Maiden. Mm. It just, it, mm. I don't know. It's, I, thought, I don't know. I think you raise an interesting point. Like you could, you could modernise language and still get the point across. Like if you change that to, period to save her father from death in the army, a brave young woman secretly goes, hmm. you know, the, yeah. a young maiden. I don't know. It just sounds like she's yeah. a wilting flower happened to go to the army. She's, she's no, not. That's like a good that. point. Yeah, I, I guess. agree. I agree. It's, it's really interesting that um, I, I think sometimes we use unnecessary terminology or or omit other terminology mm. that, that would be really useful. Um, and I think it sometimes says a lot about where the writer of, of that is mm. at. Yeah. Mm. Mentally yeah. So. This movie is based on some original content that was written a long, long time ago. I knew it was coming and I didn't fucking get it up. I know, so. I'm padding. Oh. And <laughs> whilst Will frantically searches on his phone for the original synopsis. And now a message from our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> just needed to refresh, fresh the drive, so I'm just opening it up. <clears throat> I'm notoriously bad with pronunciations, so I can't anyone, wait. You should have seen Hercules last week. Was to incredible. correct me. <clears throat> <laughs> I, I want to have scorecards. Wa <laughs> <laughs> Mulan, H U A. Oh, we'll pay that. Pay it. All right, thank you. Hua uh, Mulan is a legendary folk heroine <laughs> from the northern and southern uh, dynasties era, fourth to sixth century AD of Chinese history. Oh, okay, so it was only off by about a thousand years when I was talking about <laughs> her history before. Though in poem she's not given a surname, Hua Mulan eventually became her most commonly known name. The Disney movie changed her name to Fa Mulan, most likely referring to the Fa Mulan of Chinese-American Maxine Hong Kingston's memoir, The Woman Warrior. Yeah, so that just, that came out uh, recently in virgin commas, you know, not in <laughs> 4th to 6th century AD. So um, because that was about a strong Chinese warrior woman okay. who yeah. happened to be named, well, Fa Mulan, yeah. Mulan being separate, that just became the more popular name. Okay. The, the westernised version of that name. Interesting. The first mention of Mulan was in the Ballad of Mulan, as well as changing the interpretations of Mulan's ethnicity over the centuries, the narrative the narrative has also changed over time. A play from the 16th century by Xu Wei. Yeah, I, that's as good as you're going to get. <laughs> I'll, I'll, take, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Uh, added a whole through line about foot binding, as was common practice for women at that time. In the novel published in the 17th century, the story ends with Mulan committing suicide 
There's a string of films through the 20s and 30s who bent and shaped the story further and I am a walrus. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just read these word for word. <laughs> I'm brilliant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what you're about to read is the original poem, The Ballad of Mulan, as translated by Jack Yuan? 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 Yeah. I would actually love to throw the poem over to our guest if oh. you would like to read it with your dulcet tones. You are, yeah, you are being thrown. <laughs> In the deep end. Oh, here we go. The sound of one sigh after another as Mulan weaves at the doorway. No sound of the loom and shuttle, only that of the girl lamenting. Ask her of whom she thinks. Ask her for whom she longs. There is no one I think of. There is no one I long for. Last night I saw the army notice the Khan is coming, uh, is calling a great draft. A dozen volumes of battle rolls, each one of my father's name. My father has no grown up son, and I have no elder brother. I'm willing to buy a horse and saddle to go to battle in my father's place. She buys a fine steed at the East Market, a saddle and blanket at the West Market a bridle at the South Market and a long whip at the North Market. She takes leave of her parents at dawn to camp beside the Yellow River at dusk. No sound of her parents hailing their girl, just the rumbling waters of the Yellow River. She leaves the Yellow River at dawn to reach the Black Mountains by dusk. No sound of her parents hailing their girl, just the cries of barbarian cavalry in the Yen Hills. 10,000 miles she rode in war, crossing passes and mountains as if on a wing. On the northern air comes the sentry's gong. Cold light shines on her coat of steel. The general dead after a hundred battles, the warriors return after 10 years. They return to see the son of heaven who sits in the hall of brilliance. The rolls of merit spin a dozen times, rewards in the hundreds and thousands. The Khan asks her what she desires. I've no need for the post of a gentleman official. I ask for the swiftest horse to carry me back to my hometown. Her parents, hearing their girl, returns out to the suburbs to welcome her back. Elder sister, hearing her sister returns, adjusts her rouge by the doorway. Little brother, hearing his sister returns, sharpens his knife for pigs and lamb. I open my east chamber door and sit on my west chamber bed. I take off my battle cloak and put on my old time clothes. I adjust my wispy hair at the windowsill and apply my bisque makeup by the mirror. I step out to see my comrades in arms. They are all surprised and astounded. We traveled 12 years together. We yet didn't realize Mulan was a lady. The buck bounds here and there whilst the doe has narrow eyes. But when the two rabbits run side by side, how can you tell the female from the male? You should get a job reading audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite lovely. It is. Mm. Uh, 
biggest differences being she's at war for 10 years, not, I don't know, 10 hours. Mm. <laughs> it seems like in the film. <laughs> not just a fun afternoon. <laughs> she doesn't run away from home here. She actually goes sort of, she tells her parents, mm. uh, I'm taking leave, and they, you know, essentially support her in going. So there's no sort of... Typical Western movie, the girl runs away to rebel and, you know, that's not there. But, yeah, I think that was beautifully read. Thank you. Thank you. It's very difficult to read when you're sniggering. (laughs) 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 It's interesting because I just assumed that the Hun was referring to, like, the Mongolian army under Genghis Khan. I just made that assumption. that's way later. Yeah. I Mm. think. I... (sighs) Really, the way they were animated just looked like... Um, Hello, racist? The, well, they, they looked like, you know, the, the villains in uh, Batman animation or, yeah, yeah. or a Scooby-Doo mm. villain. It was um, almost like a monstrous version of... Little yellow eyes and no distinguishing facial features or anything like that. So it made it quite clear that there was no interest in humanising them at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they... Hollywood's done this a lot over the years of just choosing um, a particular demographic of people and then turning them into the villains Mm. and they'd go for all these um, caricatures or or stereotypes. Mm. Yeah. um, So I I think no one really cared. Mm. uh, But you have to put in context, this is 1998. Mm. There are things that were normal back then Mm. that... You couldn't get away with now. Yeah, and I think a lot of people were just happy to see. Oh, there's like Asian culture of sorts on yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that's a step up. Yeah, and I can certainly, I can certainly understand that as well. And that's something that we sort of said as we've gone through a lot of these movies is like, well, you know, looking back on the faceless black slaves that were in Dumbo. Dumbo um, it was normalised at that time, but it's kind of gross now. So, yeah, it's, um, you're right. And I suppose it being a representation of an, a non-Western culture and specifically a, a, an Asian culture is is a good thing, would you say, yeah. or is that not so? Uh, it can be a good thing. Yeah. Be, uh, if, if you create a, a caricature or a stereotype and then that becomes the overriding idea that the whole of Western society mm. um, sort of takes on as being the norm, yeah. then you can actually create, well, a bullied generation for, for the sure. next generation. For sure, um, yeah. And so we've seen that a, a bit on um, on live stage theatres in Melbourne mm. um, and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, but we, we did this, didn't we? But it's actually just cultural appropriation mm. and then twisting it. Cultural appropriation is really where you take a bit of someone's culture for your own benefit. Yeah. It's not to honour them. Mm. And what I found really interesting about this movie was they plugged into the idea, they had this running theme of honour mm. and the importance of honouring your family and you you will never bring honour mm. to your family, that sort of stuff. And asking the question as I was watching it, are they actually bringing honour to the culture that they're portraying. Yeah, right. And I, I found that a bit problematic because ultimately I didn't think that they did, mm. but it didn't stop me from liking the film. Yeah, okay. Because in the 90s it was a much simpler sort of way of looking at the world. Mm. 
these days, if if they released it today, yeah, I'd just be like, oh, that's appalling. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But I, I didn't feel like there was anything really bad, bad in the film because there's some very overt ways that it feels like it's been that it hasn't been. There's been no care around the construction of the film as well. Like I mean, we were talking before about the fact that there has been like some some things that uh, like there's some some Japanese actors who have been cast in these roles and then there's like a Japanese flag that appears on a tent at one point and things like that. So there's like some very overt carelessness there, but then mm. things like that as well. There's like a, a subtler carelessness that still is as damaging as, as overt carelessness. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, yeah. And they were, when they were casting this, the call out was for, I'm just going to blanket Asian actors. Mm. There was a list. It was like Chinese, Japanese, Korean, or something else. I want to say Indonesian, but I might be making that up. But basically, what I got from that was we're doing an Asian movie, yeah. not we're doing a Chinese movie. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why people are getting up in arms about this sort of stuff is um, you see Madame Butterfly or mm. the mm. Mikado or something like that, where they very rarely cast Asians in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're quite ye- happy to do yellow face for, mm. for that. But if you do a production of West Side Story, they won't cast an Asian in, in that because it's, yeah. oh, no, it's not realistic. Mm. And so we can suspend reality and we can imagine one way, but we can't imagine the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's so, so true. So it, it's, it's interesting when you're dealing with an animated film because does it matter where they're from uh, if they're giving the voice? Mm if the voice can sound, you know, believable. Yeah. Mm. What I have more of an issue with with this film is where are the accents from? They're all over the world. (laughs) And and I think I find that more offensive than who you've actually cast in in there. Um, And then just going, oh, there are certain characters that have clear stereotypes. Mm. Uh, like I, I was really annoyed at Chifu, the, the character who, to me, seems like the most obvious caricature of Asian culture. You know, yeah. he's he's he the, the really tall he's, friend. He's, oh no, no, he's the he's the uh, a scribe, scribe for the emperor or whatever. Yeah. Mm. And so he's really made a fool out of. Mm. And for me, he was the equivalent of Jar Jar Binks in this. Right. Film. Yeah. 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 That is. Oh, you don't know. It, it is a, someone who makes so many Star Wars references. How does that work? It is a Star War, yes. I just um, spelt it with an X. That's how I want. Oh, he's the lizard. He a lizard? Yeah, yeah. He's like a he's a Gungan. Um, a but, lizard. Cool. <laughs> but there was a huge hoo-ha over, over him because he was seen as being a caricature of a black person. Right. Um, and he's the dumb one and the... Mm. You know, because the, he's a lizard, how to just just the way that he was portrayed, he had a lot of the traits of of someone who was like seen as being black, urban sort of. Oh right, mm. right. Um, <laughs> yeah. me, he's like, hey, that's a lizard one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, so so Chifu is as this pretty stupid, subservient character, mm. and the only one with a really, really. A very clear Asian accent. Yeah. yeah. I thought, oh, that's pretty bad. That's yeah. pretty bad. Well, yeah. actually, let's just insert Tim's tidbit here. So before we met Chifu, we, we met Mulan's father. Mm-hmm. And 
until that point, everyone's got a, an American accent mm. of some degree. And then the dad starts speaking with, with this thick, broken English Chinese accent. And Tim's tidbit was, every character is westernised except the dad. Even grandma has a westernised <laughs> accent. Did he study abroad or something? Where's <laughs> <laughs> Tim? I want him in this podcast. He is walking around. I've seen him. <laughs> and I, like, I just hadn't really clicked until that point. Mm. I thought, yeah, that makes no sense yeah. at all. <laughs> it's it's just because he's old and broken, he must have the Chinese accent, but everyone mm. else can be American. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I, I, if you look carefully, you'll see that the the way that they're animated, the heroes have a more Western appearance. Oh, absolutely, mm. and that's um, always the case with these films. And and yeah, and so all of the um, chief protagonists have a more American or or a traditional English accent or whatever, yeah. and then all the minor characters are get shoved. Yeah. Should we uh, should we take a break and then jump into the songs? Any uh, anything else that you guys want to talk about before we? Oh, do that? millions of things to talk about. What the hell was Jiminy Cricket doing there? <laughs> Merchandise. <laughs> I, like I didn't understand why why this lucky cricket was in the story in the first okay, place. I've got it. There is a there is a story here. So basically. They decided that Mulan would have two sidekicks named Merchandise One, Merchandise Two, which is just <laughs> a common theme through the 90s, right? And so uh, they had a cricket, and the cricket was like a Jiminy Cricket type. Yeah. So he spoke, and he was very proper and well to do. And then as they were storyboarding and progressing through writing this story, everyone kept going, But what's the cricket doing? What about the cricket? How, what's the cricket? And you haven't mentioned the cricket. And eventually they were like, Fuck the cricket. And <laughs> And just kept him as a non-vocal character. <laughs> <laughs> it became too hard to Fuck keep the him. We should get that on t-shirt. <laughs> that's so bizarre. It became too hard to keep him like in the story. Yeah. So yeah, that's why he's non-verbal, but he's there because merchandise. He's also just he got sidetracked from trying to find Pinocchio. So <laughs> yeah. So he he is kind of like the average. Asian in a normal film. He's just like a moving prop. Yeah. So, so you get to an Asian-based film and you're going, oh, he is really the lowest of the low in a picking order now. That's so, oh. You're one lucky bug. Knowing that is so interesting, actually. Yeah. Just because there is absolutely no, he adds nothing to the entire yeah. film. It gets, mm. it gets mm. too hard. That's why Moana's chicken doesn't speak either. It's mm. a similar story. Mm. It's just too hard. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's too hard. But you keep him there because <laughs> merchandise. Thank you, Disney. <laughs> How did you do that? <laughs> You're breaking my heart. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the songs and any other tidbits we want to add into that. Oh, I've got that. some good ones. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back in just a minute after a word from our sponsor, me. Hey guys, it's Will here. First up, thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon. Your support gives us motivation and inspiration. If you want to join them over there where you can listen to a bunch of bonus episodes, head over to Patreon and search for Dissecting Disney Diddies. Our most recent bonus episode is ranking the pop covers. We also have merch available. That's right. What is the best Disney song t-shirts are now available in our Redbubble store. You'll find the link on our Facebook page or just search for us on Redbubble. 
Last of all, if you enjoyed this podcast, we would really appreciate likes, subscribes, rates and reviews. In order for more people to find us, we need you to make your voices heard. So head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podcast Addict, any other podcast that allows you to do it, and leave us a review. That's it for now. Let's dive into the songs. Fast-paced, with good breed and a tiny waist, you'll bring honor to us all. We all must serve our emperor, who us from the wrong. Honor to us all. Honor to us all. Weird first song. I think it, it really helps set the tone of mm. the film. No, absolutely. I, I just mean more that it's not like a banger. It's, like it's, it's not, not a like banger. A, it's not a hook. Not the one you're singing on the car at home from no, the theatre. No, but it is interesting. It's an interesting song. Mm, mm. How so? I think it says a lot that I've listened to it twice in the last three weeks mm. um, and I still can't remember the, the song. Oh, I still don't remember it as well. Absolutely. And that's why we have for cake. <laughs> one of our scores is our cake score. <laughs> so we're getting it a zero. <laughs> no, I think it's interesting. It, 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 it does a lot of introduction of like at least this movie's understanding of, of culture and expectations. Mm. It doesn't tell us a lot about Mulan, but it does tell us a lot about the world what in which she lives through. in, mm. which I think is interesting. It's very dark, which I was not expecting going in, and the war stuff is very grim. And so to start it off with like that and not with a song like Belle or a song like Circle of Life or a song like Gospel Truth or something, you know, where, where it's just this banger song that just sort of like hooks you in. Yeah. It's it's an interesting choice. Actually, is this the first? Let me just go back a bit. Hercules had an introduction song. Mm-hmm. Hunchback had an introduction song. Mm-hmm. Pocahontas. Uh, yeah, Virginia Company. Yep, yep. The um, very rememberable. <laughs> Lion King had Circle of Life. Aladdin had Arabian Night. This is the first movie in the Renaissance that does not have an mm. opening number. Beauty and the Beast had Belle. Little Mermaid had Fathoms Below. Mm. This is the first one that opens with dialogue. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like uh, I've wondered whether it was to do with the directors uh, and composer. Mm. Um, to get new people in means mm. they don't really understand the, the Disney formula as, as much and I would assume that they'd have guidance from the, the mm. company mm. anyway. But it felt like it, there was a departure, the way it, like there's a disjointedness mm. of oh, this, this is not spoken with the same Disney voice. Mm. Yeah, and that's a lot to do with the Disney fatigue that was occurring in the 90s because Katzenberg, who has now left Disney, and there's a good story there, uh, had promised in 1989 we're going to do a movie a year. What was happening was parents were starting to feel like Disney was being shoved down their throats. New Disney movie, you have mm. to go, you have to go. And Disney was big on the guilt marketing uh, we talked a lot about that when the Disney vault came out, you know, get Cinderella before she's gone forever. Oh, no, we were too late, Mom. It was just that whole thing of take your kids to a Disney movie or you're a bad parent was yeah. kind of their whole marketing scheme. And what was happening was this sort of rebellion in the mid-'90s of, oh, like we're so sick of Disney mm. telling us oh. how to how to bring up our children. And so what they're doing here is they started backing away from the heavy musical 
mm. movies. Mm. And we know that in a few movies' time it dies for a good like eight years or something. Ten. Ten years they stopped doing musical films because of this Disney fatigue that was happening. And this film did very well. It was the second highest grossing of the year. Mm-hmm. But there was this constant desperation over a four-year period of trying to get back to where The Lion King was, which was just an absolute phenomenon and made mm. so much money. Mm. And compared to that, this this made so much less money. And Disney is hemorrhaging money at the moment, especially because they've introduced Euro Disney, so they've got the Disney Park in Paris that's losing a lot of money. You know, Katzenberg has left. Eisner has been named one of the worst CEOs of all time. His oh. salary, he's the richest CEO in the world at that time, despite the fact that Disney um, is down like 63% or something in profit. His mm. salary hasn't moved. And so there's a lot of negativity around the entire Disney enterprise at this time. And you can see, you know, in this film, no opening number, different mm. directors, different composers, because they're trying desperately to do, you know, sort of do what they've been doing, but to do it differently and police like us. It also know? feels like on top of that, it's a way to try and get the the boy vote. Yeah. Because it's like, this isn't a, a typical musical. It's yeah. about war <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, and we like, did Hercules. Now we've got Milan, but yeah. she's like a kick-ass fighter. Yeah, mm. yeah. But like 1998 Will would have been all over this shit. I would have been yeah. like... Fucking give me that war movie. <laughs> like, you know, um, and it, it worked with me yesterday. So I, I can see why uh, they would do that. It's interesting, the fatigue thing that you mentioned, like, because we're sort of seeing it a little bit now um, with Marvel movies. Now, I know mm. that like, people yeah. have a lot of really differing opinions on Marvel movies and all that sort of stuff, but it does feel like that everything they've done since Endgame has almost been. Not it hasn't. It feels like it hasn't been as well received. Even though they're still making hundreds of millions of dollars every release, every movie that comes out, people are sort of a bit tired. Yeah. So musically, I thought this was quite cool. There's some really good acknowledgement of the pentatonic scale, which is very, very commonly used in Chinese traditional music. Mm-hmm. Doesn't doesn't remain true to that the whole way through. But there's also a really great use of traditional Chinese instruments that appear in this song, which absolutely disappear when she goes to cut off her hair and all of a sudden we're in Daytona 2000. Oh, with dang, 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 dang. I had to play um, that, that <laughs> segment because that was, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> And then the original version sounded like this. I find it so interesting when I can hear like the Western influences of of music and then just like Asian instruments. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. fusion oh, is so cool. I I hate it. Oh, I love it. Which is, it's so it's so interesting because I really struggle with it because for me it's an uncanny valley experience. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. I don't know. It, I I am really intrigued that, that you love it. I love it if it's like uh, fused with um, sort of orchestral, you know, Western orchestral instruments or or you know even sort of digital stuff. When it's fused together, it's just like that marriage, if it's done well, 
that marriage just excites me that it isn't overwritten, it's fused. And I really, I just, I don't know, it gets me going. <laughs> How do you feel when it's fused with the soundtrack from Stranger Things 5? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't work. Any, does it? Anything infused with the soundtrack from Stranger Things 5 is awesome in my books. <laughs> but anyway, so on that, because of that, getting back to Honor to Us All, which oh, of course, I, yes. which we, we began talking about like five years ago. So because of that, I gave it for, um, for music. I really like that. It's almost counterpoint, um, but I don't know if a, from a music nerd point of view it, it literally is, but they get about three quarters of the way through the song and all of a sudden the the women start singing uh, one line and then different women are singing another line. It's while she's getting all her hair pulled around and stuff. I just thought it was it was really cool and clever. I gave it five for lyrics because I think the lyrics are actually really clever. Mm-hmm. The lyrics, when you look at them, are actually quite sassy. I just think it's really clever because musically, if you're not paying attention, it just sounds really pretty. Mm. But it's actually kind of the, these women have attitude and, and I really like that. <laughs> I gave it three for animation because I don't think it's anything fantastic. Five for contribution because I really think it beautifully sets up Mulan's situation that Mm. she's in and the community that she is a part of Mm. and how heavily they hammer this way of of upbringing and this traditional way of what it is to be a woman. Mm -hmm. But I gave it zero for cake because even when you played it, I thought I do not remember this at all. Fair. Uh, mine are quite similar. Um, so I gave it a three for music and a four for lyrics, a three for animation, a four for contribution. Uh, the other reason why I didn't give it a five for contribution is because it doesn't tell us about Mulan, as, as we sort of have already said. Mm. It tells us about the world that she lives in, the expectations, all that sort of stuff, but it doesn't really tell us about her. So, Fair enough. So that's the only reason why I've just marked it down a score for that. Mm-hmm. And then I gave it a one for cake because I do remember the... And bring honor to us. <laughs> bring honor to us. That's the only thing I remember. I had a one. I had originally written one, and then when I got to a girl worth fighting for, I was writing down my scores, and I looked up at honor to us all, and I thought, I can't remember how that went already. Mm, yeah, changed it to zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the first song in uh, in Milan. Honor to us all. On mm. to the song that Jet setted Christina Aguilera's career. Reflection. Just witnessed to a beautiful mimed performance of reflection by the wonderful Eugene. Eyes closed, <laughs> hands in full action. That's great. Uh, if we get more Patreon listeners, maybe we can <laughs> we'll get a full it. concert of it from him. <laughs> hey, what can I say? There aren't that many roles available for Asians. I, I take what I can get, really. So you're a fan of this one, Eugene? Yeah, I do like this. I'm all for soppy ballads. Um, mm. And I just think that this is really sweet. Mm. Mm. No, I agree. Uh, I agree. I, I I often feel that you know songs can be very heavy-handed when you're trying to move the narrative along, mm. but this gave us a real insight into both her and the context that she's in. Mm. Mm. Yep. No, I agree. Beautifully sung by 
Leia Salonia. Salonia. <laughs> Side-eye to Eugene. Uh, I would like to point out, because I don't think I mentioned this in Aladdin, she was the first Asian woman to win a Tony Award. I feel like that did come up, but Didn't maybe it? not in Aladdin. Maybe in something else. It was for else. Uh, her portrayal of Kim in Miss Saigon. Mm. Mm. So all props to her. She's a queen. <laughs> if you've seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, she sings oh. an incredible number in that. After just... all of your pestering, Angie has started watching yes! it. So. <laughs> She, start, she started to like send me clips and so she's like, this is quite funny. I'm like, I have no context for oh, this. I don't please. know what's happening. <laughs> Tell her to go back to the start. I've tried to drag Tim through it. We made yeah. it to, a, I think, halfway through season two before he was just like, enough. And he only watches it now if I'm like really unwell or really upset. He yeah. knows it's the fun thing. <laughs> <laughs> so Reflection is the song that launched the career of Christina Aguilera. We sort of talked about this in the bonus episode, but neither of us had done enough research on it to validate what we were saying. So basically she had done a song called All I Want Is You. She'd collabed with someone and then she approached RCA Records for a contract and they said, we're actually in a bit of a financial struggle at the moment, so we can't offer you a recording contract. However... Disney has just put out a caller for someone to record a song for their next movie, Mulan. Yeah. You should submit for that. And she submitted the incredible Run To You by Whitney Houston. So she recorded that, sent it in, and she got the job. Mm. I was going to say she got the role. She did not play anyone. She <laughs> got the job. After she had recorded that, the movie came out and RCA offered her a contract and that's what launched her career and she managed to release her first self-titled wow. album, Christina Aguilera, featuring the incredible single Genie in a Bottle. I feel like I've been locked up tight for a century of lonely nights Waiting for someone to release me yeah, it's interesting. Like I was listening to these songs again today and I was sort of going through my ratings and all that sort of stuff and Angie sort of said to me that she thinks the Christina Aguilera version is a bit better. And I think if you're just sort of listening to it out of context, yeah, she's probably right. The Christina Aguilera version just mm. has something... Well, it's not so sweet. It's no, ballsy. No, it's, it's a bit ballsy, mm. yeah. But I think in, in the context of the movie, this is a great song. Great it, cover. It's an incredible advertisement for the most amazing makeup remover you've ever seen. <laughs> One swipe and everything's gone. And as Tim pointed out, except the lipstick. Uh, yeah. One swipe. It's like those, um, <laughs> it kills 99% of bacteria. It's like it removes 99% of makeup except for lipstick, obviously. <laughs> I really love this song. I remember um, growing up around this time and just everyone, pardon me, wanted to sing it, but we all wanted to sing it like Christina Aguilera and no one could hit that reasons why note. <laughs> I mean, now I can. But 
it uh, it was a real goal song, and this this was epic. Mm. This song was huge. Mm. That's why I got flat fives from me. Really? Mm. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Why? Kind of the reasons we've already said. Like it's really sweet and beautiful. It's really well sung. The the music is very memorable. Um, it's the only song I can remember from the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm very upset with you. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's really beautifully animated. I think the where she's sort of sitting and then like all the tablets are like reflecting her. I mean, it's a bit sort of on the nose, I guess, and like oh, reflection. But it's really, really beautiful. Um, the makeup removal is really beautiful. Uh, yeah, I just think it's really great, and I think it it does that job of. of Filling in the gap where that we had in um, Honor to Us All, where it's like now we know everything about Mulan as well. Yeah, now right. we know she's think what she's thinking and why she's thinking. And mm. yeah, there's just something you said there with her reflection in the tablets. So a big like gripe I had, and like I'm not even Asian, so this isn't like my heritage, but it still bugged me because I'm like it's so so wrong. Is that the shrine to their ancestors was in the backyard? Isn't it normally in the house? Isn't it normally like a an uh, altar you have in the home with like incense and I, I think it can be either. Like I think it's like okay. Red Panda. You know, it's it's in the house. Yeah, because it was in Red Panda, then <laughs> that's then, not why then, I that. Let me consult my like, book. <laughs> Red Panda. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to think quickly of like no. a reference someone could grab. And I'm like, that that's how it is, no, isn't I, it? I think you can have a separate temple in, in the back. Like really? this is not my culture. Well, no, obviously it is my uh, my kind of general culture, but I haven't grown up with it. Yeah. Um, I, I think you can have a separate temple-ish sort of thing. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, Red Panda was so. set in suburban Toronto. And <laughs> this is like some farmland. Like, I really so. thought that was um, something you just had in your home mm. because you you uh, it's something that sort of um, goes beyond Asian cultures and some European cultures as well, but it's something that should always be present. So when you're walking through the home, you're just constantly reminded of your... Ancestors, because the whole point yeah. of that is that their name, you know, their their names live on, that they're not forgotten, kind of like if you, you know, put someone in a cemetery and eventually people stop going, they get forgotten. Whereas yeah, yeah. if it's in your house, it's a constant Pretty sure, like, reminder. Romans had, like, the death masks of all their ancestors <laughs> in a row, oh. which is kind of, kind of metal. <laughs> kind of I kind of dig it. <laughs> Maybe I'll start that tradition. <laughs> I, it, it wouldn't surprise me, though, if um, people had a temple in, in the back that they also have reminders all the way through their house mm. because it, the ancestors is such a huge thing yeah. uh, in, in Asian culture that mm. you're going to get reminders wherever you go anyway. But it's an interesting thing you picked up. Yeah, I was like, that's weird. Uh, okay, anyway, so back to my scores. <sighs> uh, I gave this four for music and lyrics. I think it's beautiful, but I don't think it's groundbreaking. For me now, a five for music and lyrics it has to be groundbreaking or it has to be just really clever. So because I keep holding like Bells of Notre Dame and Circle of Life, it's five, five. So if I, if I think it's, it's really well done but it's not mind-blowing, it's going to sit at a four for me now. Animation I gave three because I think they cheat a lot in this. A lot of this she sings it with her back turned to the camera, inverted commas, or she's far away. They haven't actually animated a lot of her having to sing this like there's that epic shot of her taking off the makeup which everyone remembers next to the one with her reflection in the sword but for me I thought a lot of this was very lazy animation 
Contribution, I gave it five and Cake, I gave it five. You're a hard woman to please. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do agree with the lyrics though. Like I, I really liked the song but I, I didn't think there was anything groundbreaking about the lyrics. What I really did like about this song is that for me it was the anthem that summarised the entire movie. Mm. Mm. This, the, the whole reason for the movie existing and, uh, you know, there's that line, when will my reflection show who I am inside? This, this was the hero's journey for her of discovering who she is mm. and being able to be proud of that. And so for me, this is why it would have gotten a bigger score, not that I was marking it, than um, I'll Make a Man Out of You, which I know is will have words. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just before we move on, it is interesting because, like, it does come back as well. Like, I think you mentioned the sword. Um, later on, she does see the reflection in the sword and it is, like, that sort of nice sort of... Uh, what does it say when it comes... Full circle almost? Throwback. Yeah, throwback, yeah. <laughs> All that. Mm. But, yeah, speaking of... It is. It's a <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so the most wholesome thing I've ever seen in my years as a teacher, I was teaching at a school in 2018 and we had like a, uh, it was like a wellbeing day and so they had like this open mic situation set up and one of my year 12 students gets up there and with all seriousness and in all sincerity and with the earnestness that inspires me to this day, <laughs> busted out this song in the karaoke oh. and I was just, I was stunned. So Not only was good. I stunned that he got up and did this song, because like, like I said, I hadn't seen this movie. I just sort of knew this song as like a bit of a meme song, you know. Yeah. Um, not only was I surprised that he got up and sang this song, but I was surprised by how into it the audience was. They were singing along, they were cheering. It was yep. fucking bananas. As someone who has uh, been employed to play many a piano bar mm. at quite a prolific uh cabaret venue in Melbourne, I have busted this out mm. every single time I've been employed really? to do that and the crowd goes mental. It's not a big piano song. It's a lot of drums. No, like if you're at a drum open mic night. We don't have a pianist. We have stackers on the drums. It's just like it's one of the greatest sing-alongs next to like Don't Stop Believing. People just go mental for it. It's so... Wow. Oh, it just brings people together and it's one of those songs that... You think it's going to end and then it doesn't. Then it brings out a key change and there's an acapella section. And, and the just, key change oh. is just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And this is why it gets flat fires. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Eugene looks upset. Soft. <laughs> soft. I said, I... Will and I do not talk in the two weeks between when we, um, you know, do movies because, you know, we don't want to. Steer each other in the direction of how we should score things, mm. but I was like, no. Nah. And I sent him a gif of um, Mr. I'll make it. You must be swift as a coursing river, with all the force of a great typhoon, with the strength of a raging fire, mysterious as the dark side of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> in all caps, <laughs> I just all caps. Couldn't keep it together. 
I'm just missing something. <laughs> I just like I, I was not emotionally moved by that. I cried. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, when, but, what, what I did love about this song was um when when it shows when it flips to Mulan and and you're going, okay, you know, he's he's addressing all of his men and then I'll make a man out of you. And you can see her her journey in becoming the person that she's trying to pretend to be. Yeah. And I thought that was really witty. Mm. Mm. Um and the violins in it. Oh. I just I love the violins. So, so whatever. But meh. Oh. A, like I, I think Possibly it's because when, when I'm looking for a classic Disney song, mm. what I want is something that is going to be standalone and that that isn't as contextual as this song is. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's the reason why I really love um, Reflection because that can be can its own it thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's no. and, that, and that's perfectly reasonable and valid. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just there's just so many funny little bits in it. I think like when when they're doing the the catching the fish thing and she grabs uh, Yao's foot yeah. and he's just like there, there's like bubbles going out. I was like, that's so funny. And then Mushu appears with a fish yeah. for her. Oh, you guys are so easily pleased. <laughs> sometimes we are. Sometimes we, it's really silly. I, I, I'm for it. I'm for it. Yeah. For um I'm, for me, the the animation was so so clever because it is a montage song. Mm. It is watching them, you know, mm. from way to go with the training but the fact that you have all the voices of the soldiers in that middle bridge section i'm never gonna catch my breath think about it those who knew me boy was i a fool for cutting jam. and you're not seeing them sing it diegetically but you are seeing them yeah so i just thought it didn't slow the number down it was like we're gonna keep moving and <laughs> Uh, Tim said to me, why is it that, because it ends with that beautiful like red, orange background when they're all doing the same um, martial arts movements and they jump and, oh, it's epic. And Tim said, how come a number like that has such better animation than the two songs before it? Mm. And I said, I don't know. I think it's like if you were told you're animating this song and you heard it, it's just such a banger that you'd want it to be that. Like it's something mm. exciting to animate. Mm. So you think of like Be Our Guest, Under the Sea, you know, it's that exciting like what can we do to just elevate this song mm. to where it deserves to be. Whereas if you get given reflection, it's a bit. It's hard because there's uh, not know, so much carrying just it. Singing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And oh, there's just so much epic imagery mm. in this. And the fact that you even get to see um, what I really loved was watching uh, – uh, Li Shang dismiss Milan. Mm. He just he fires her at the yeah. end, near the end of this song, mm. and she turns around and climbs the the totem pole to get the arrow. Mm. There's so much that That's progresses in this <laughs> story <laughs> without needing to like like Hercules halt the song yeah. for you know you're fired. It's mm. just like now nah, yep. we're just gonna keep yep. keep going yeah. and. Then it gets to the acapella section. The, the great thing about this is so many uh, musical numbers in in films and in musicals, it's often, you know, you're going at a fire-cracking pace or whatever and then you get to the musical number and it's like, well, well what happened? Because everything <laughs> just stopped. Yeah. It's, I feel like I'm in a Gilbert and Sullivan all over again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but with this, it, it actually drove the narrative. Mm. And that yeah. that made it actually quite powerful, mm. I thought. I feel like um, now is a good point uh, to just talk about 
how we ended up with Matthew Wilder writing the music and not Mencken or Schwartz. Mm. So Mencken's obviously done a lot of these movies in the Renaissance and Stephen Schwartz has sort of entered the scene. He did Hunchback. He worked on Pocahontas. So this is the timeline. This is how I can explain it as quickly as possible. So in 1994, so four years ago, Katzenberg left Disney. There was a lot of um, issues there and he left and he co-founded DreamWorks, a direct Mm. competitor to Disney who at the time was also collaborating with Pixar. Okay, so they had promised a Pixar movie every year as well. They've released Toy Story. It's all going well there. He starts DreamWorks. Now, at that time, Stephen Schwartz was penned to score the music and lyrics for Mulan. Yeah. So this is going to be a Schwartz movie musical. But as soon as Katzenberg left in March 1994 and co-founded DreamWorks, the first thing he did was rung Stephen Schwartz and said, you're not contracted yet to Mulan. I want you to come over and I want you to write the music for Prince of Egypt. Oh, wow. So. (laughs) Good move. So he agrees to do Prince of Egypt. Michael Eisner, who is the new CEO of Disney, rings him and begs him to come back and do Mulan. Peter Schneider, who's the head of uh, feature animation, he rings Stephen Schwartz and threatens to erase his name off everything he's ever done for Disney. He's going to take him off Pocahontas. He's going to take him off Hunchback. He's like, you will be nothing here. You're never working here again unless you come back and you do Mulan. And obviously that doesn't happen because... <laughs> We know he did mm. into those movies. Perfectly reasonable reaction, by the way. <laughs> I can only imagine how much money Jeffrey Katzenberg offered him because it's a mm. real stick it to the man move to mm. take their next sort of big composer. Mm. How much money would he have offered him to get him to a point where he'll say, "Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm taking Prince of Egypt." Mm. Like, a, yeah, to turn down Disney. How old would have Schwartz been at that stage? Ooh, good question. Um, For the trivia buffs. (laughs) Because in my mind, Stephen Schwartz has just been around forever. He was born in 1948. So, yeah, yeah, 50 years. He's 50. Yeah, at this point. Wow. So that's how we end up with this. And to be honest, something I really love about I'll Make a Man Out of You is I just cannot imagine Alan Menken having ever written this. Stephen Schwartz maybe but there's just something so new and fresh about the way this song is written. One of the things about this song is it sounds to me very Western. Yeah. The whole song. Mm. And, and when you only have five songs in the entire movie um, and, you know... Uh, and one of them's the credits. Yes. And the first one to me actually sounded a bit King and I-ish. Um, yes. With, yeah, sure. With some really tokenistic sort of um, appropriation of, of cultural sounds yep. that I think overplayed the 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 well the very stereotypical type of Asian sound sort of thing and um, and then you go into this and you're going well what movie are we watching yeah now. So I I think I really struggled with that because mm. I it takes me out of the story. Mm. 
And probably because when when you're expecting to see a story from that particular culture and then it shifts, mm. then, uh, you know, if, if you're just going to watch a movie, then that's fine. But if, if you're watching it with the expectation that it's going to be their culture, then it feels like a real culture shock when it's suddenly not. No, that's fair. And I think that when, when you put it back to back with the synth bloody uh, <laughs> cutting, it is two, like two songs in a row that are very, very distinctly different to yeah. everything else. Yeah. Um, so, no, I think that's fair. Yeah. Mm. But we gave it flat fives. So, <laughs> yeah. That's Thank fine. You. Thanks for coming, Eugene. <laughs> you can have your cake. <laughs> but look, that, that brings us to the last song that we're rating because we're not going to rate the. Uh, the <laughs> 98 no. degrees. <laughs> yeah. pop um, sensation. Which belongs in the same movie as the synth haircutting, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but not necessarily in this movie. Uh, and that is A Girl Worth Fighting For. Think of instead a girl worth fighting for. Huh? That's what I said. A girl worth fighting for. I want a paler than the moon. With eyes that shine like stars. My girl will marvel at my strength. Adore my battle scars. I couldn't care less what she'll wear or what she looks like. It all depends on what she cooks like beef, pork, chicken. So uh, speaking of food, I just realised we haven't explained to our new listeners what the cake score is. Will. Uh, the cake score, or the catchy Kylie earworm score, is a score that de- determines how, uh, where we measure how memorable a song is. Is it, uh, is it staying with you till the end of the movie, 20 years later, or have you forgotten it immediately? I like that... that- um, the measurement to the end of the movie or 20 years later. Like there's no in between. No, there is no in between. (laughs) If you are remembering a song for 10 years and not 20, uh, who Uh, are you? Score score of one. (laughs) Okay. I, I sort of like this song and I sort of don't. I sort of wish it was a bit more... Marchy. Like a song that we made up as we're marching because uh, as you know, armies and, um, groups of people doing any sort of repetitive task tend to do. They tend to come up with ways to make make what they're doing more interesting. Uh, I thought this was a little bit too creative for the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I thought the animation was spectacular mm. given what they were working with. Particularly like the drawings that yeah, like, they that opened sort up, of, the, um, the scroll that was like a drawing or something. Yeah. I don't know what you call that. Neither that traditional I. Chinese um, style of drawing where they'd use ink and it's just one of those things where you go if you got an hour into doing your design and you made one fuck up, you chuck the whole thing. Like just working with ink like that terrifies me. <laughs> you can only imagine. I'd say you have conniptions even yeah, talking like about. Just the idea of not being able to erase or undo terrifies me <laughs> with that sort of work. And it's incredible, but you think about how much stress, effort and patience goes into creating that sort of work. Mm. It's incredible. I think the, the way this song ends is perfect. Mm that it just cuts and goes straight to the devastation that's in front of them, which is something the 2020 movie absolutely decimated. And it's great for a Disney movie to sort of just people are dead. Mm. Everyone's died. And they don't do it in a way where you see like bodies or people screaming or, or whatnot, but it's just enough to show even the youngest of audiences that something very terrible and sad has happened and everything's just come to a screeching halt, including 
the continuation of any more <laughs> songs for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was the day the music died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the big bomber was in that village. <laughs> Eugene, what do you think? Uh, I, I thought that it was witty. Um, I, I found it a little bit annoying that you've got soldiers doing this boppy song um, and I was thinking, okay, well, they're not really soldiers. They're like v- kind of village folk. Mm. But was it written intentionally that way? And I wasn't convinced that it was. I, I think mm. it was just, oh, well, here's a nice tune and we'll just shove it in. Um, and uh, in in a war setting, um, that's not what I would have anticipated. Uh, like the subject matter, totally. <laughs> but that's not the way that I would have seen it come across and yeah. um in an asian culture that's not what i would have um envisaged either so so i, I thought that was interesting i the music itself i didn't find particularly memorable mm. yeah. uh, and I, I did like it but uh, you know 20 years no nah. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks no <now. laughs> I think I got what they were trying to do, which was to create the lightest, happiest little ditty so that when you see the village, it's so a it real like, yep. contrast, like stark contrast. Mm, that's smart. But, yeah, I agree with you in that it just don't think it was the right style. Mm. I, I think the style for the whole film was all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, and... <sighs> I love when you see a show and nothing is wasted. Mm. You know, you see a lot of Hollywood movies that have references and they have throwbacks and they're so obvious. Mm. They're really blunt throwbacks and and you're going, oh, that just feels tacky. That was specifically written in so that you could um, tell everyone, hey, look, I'm so witty, you know, look Mm. at this. And that feels like an American slapstick approach to stuff. It's very obvious. Mm. Mm. Whereas I, I prefer almost the European or the Eastern approach to storytelling, which is very subtle and you see stuff in the imagery, you you hear stuff in the lilt of the way that people talk or in the soundtrack that that has a whole subtext so that the music becomes its own character in the film, mm. the costuming becomes its own character in the film, yeah. all that sort of stuff. And I I've kind of felt like this, it wasn't a fail, wasn't, Quite there, it was on the way. Mm. You know, so so it's really easy to play the critic with with this sort of stuff. Have I have we done scores yet? No, we no, haven't. So I gave this three for music and lyrics, mm-hmm. five for animation because I just think they did so much with what they had to work with. I loved all that um, sort of traditional Chinese um, painting animation that happened in it. Four four for contribution because I think whilst the music wasn't quite appropriate the purpose of it worked yep. it just mm, yeah yeah it didn't marry um and i gave it a one for cake because i do remember a girl worth fighting for that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough uh i gave it a three for music and a five for lyrics a five for animation a four for contribution and a one for cake oh pretty similar well, one thing that did stand out for me in this was when they flipped to her as the guys are seeing a, yeah. a girl worth fighting for, that really hit home for me and I was going, oh, okay, I, I would give extra points for that. Mm. There's, there's something about it of, of going, um, 
they're processing this externally mm. and we're seeing the internal processing for her. Yeah. yeah. And that yeah. was really great. Yeah. But that's all of the music from 1998's Mulan. Uh, four songs. Four songs. All four <laughs> songs, which we've managed to talk uh, for quite some time about. It's going to be one of our longer episodes, which I'm all for. But that brings us to everyone's favourite segment, including yours, Eugene, although I'm, I don't know if you've actually listened to our podcast before, have you? <laughs> <laughs> this will be your favourite. You must. <laughs> and that is... Angie's Anecdotes. All right, so I watch these with my partner, Angie, and she <laughs> likes to... Comment comment on the movie as it's happening, uh, and today. So uh, when we first meet the captain, he is being sort of like given his command essentially by his father, who's the general, yeah. I believe, and he's all like downtrodden a little bit. And and Angie turns to me and says, "He's too hot to lack confidence. I don't buy it." Angie's <laughs> <laughs> anecdotes. My biggest issue with that scene was. He was wearing a shirt. Mm. <laughs> well, we get, let's get down to business uh, and rip off our shirts. So. When, they, when they reprise, I'll make a man out of you when they all dress up as Chinese uh, traditional women and then he appears. My gripe wasn't why isn't he in female dress. My gripe was why is he wearing a shirt? And no need for that. We talk a lot about, like, my sexual awakening on this podcast and now we're talking about stackers. Oh, yeah. You know, there, there was a lot of talk when Crazy Rich Asians came out that, you know, Asian men just aren't sexually objectified enough. Mm. So here we go. How, so, how do we miss the, the so ground, hard. the groundbreaking stuff? And, like, they're at the camp and Tim, Tim loves this song. He's like, the song's coming. And I was like, just wait for the shirt to come off. <laughs> and he's like, why isn't he singing? I'm like, the shirt isn't off yet. <laughs> you just know <laughs> when that shirt comes off, we mean business. <laughs> <laughs> so hot. People think Aladdin's hot. I'm like, have you seen Mulan? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do we have a winner? Of course we've got a winner. Of course we've, of got, course a we've got a winner. It's the Flat winner fives. that was always going to be the winner. It's always going to be the winner. must be swift as the coursing river With all the force of a great typhoon With all the strength of a raging fire Mysterious as the dark side of the the quiet voice of dissent in the corner here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you a T-shirt, not my flat fives. <laughs> Look, that's that's Milan. That's Milan. Any last thoughts, last tidbits? I we haven't really mentioned this, but I actually really love the fact that this is a strong female character mm. in a Disney film. You've got all the Disney princesses, and most of them are quite passive and require rescuing. Mm. And I, I really like the fact that she's a go-getter mm. and um, she's very headstrong. So I thought that was, that was cool. And despite the, the issues with cultural appropriation and, and just getting things wrong, I actually thought for 1998, mm. the merging of a Disney culture and an Asian culture they did pretty well. Yeah, they did pretty mm. well, and and it didn't it didn't feel like there was a that it was a really cynical. Oh, we're just going to slap this on. Even things like the making a huge deal out of honor mm. showed that someone understood Asian culture because there's such a huge thing about honor and shame and 
family duty and stuff like that. Whereas the 2021 emphasized chi in a very weird way. <laughs> Everything was about chi. Interesting. Mm. But that's because, uh, sorry, they were authentic because they had two Chinese writers out of seven on the team. So um, anyway, anyway, <laughs> at some point we'll probably go through that horrendous movie. But it was a, it was a pleasant surprise to watch <laughs> this movie. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. I, I really like this movie as well. Mm, I like it too. Yeah, I think again. Yeah, it's, I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for a war movie. I'm a sucker. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> and it 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 didn't make a difference that the protagonist was female in this war movie. Not in the slightest. No, that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't actually considered whether I did feel differently about it with a female protagonist. No, I don't. Yeah. Because there's, there's been a fair bit written about, you know, boys don't respond so well to female protagonists and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. No, it's interesting. Like, it's, 1998 is the Saving Private Ryan year. That's the year that <laughs> my, my life changed forever. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've actually mentioned it on the podcast before, but I'd managed to talk my dad. I was 11 at the time, and I managed to talk my dad into taking me to see Saving Private Ryan at the oh movies. My oh, my God. And I... <sighs> That movie changed me. I, I became an adult overnight. I remember just like coming out and my mom asking how the movie was and I just like broke down because <laughs> <laughs> I was just so shook by it. Um, but yeah, like it's a, a very, very different war movie. But oh my yeah, goodness. So, um, no, it's, it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. All right. So uh, in two weeks, we look forward to seeing you for our 29th episode for a movie that is sure to spark some hot debate between so Will good. and I because we are looking at 1999's Tarzan. Boo. Fucking yes. <laughs> Kill me now. Uh, uh, yeah, can't wait. So thank you so much for joining us today. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, I'm single. I like walks down the beach. Uh, I will take payments in cheese. And he looks yeah. like B.D. Wong. So there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, I'm Stackers. And I'm Will. And I'm Eugene. Bye. Bye. Powerful is the Cox Network. So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply.